Well, again, good morning to all of you here. Good morning to those of you who are over in the worship center. It's so good to have you with us. And if you're new here, a guest here, um, thank you for being here. We worship in two rooms during the second hour. And so we join together via video for the preaching of the Word of God this morning. So um, we welcome both rooms together. And we are going to set aside the book of James like a dear friend that we hope to see again real soon. We've been in the book of James for several weeks. We uh, set him aside for uh, our um, celebration of Christ in the lives of our students in what we call the weekend. And uh, what a great weekend it was. And uh, Dustin, our student minister, preached and great, great weekend. And then we had Easter Sunday where we preached from Matthew chapter 28 on the resurrection of Jesus. And now we enter into um, an incredible series, something that I've been waiting to, to share with you for a long, long time and just really, really grateful for how God worked this morning and God moved and can't sh wait to share with you about vision and values. We'll get to that in just a second. And uh, let me invite you though, real quickly, real quickly in your bulletin uh, right here at the bottom of this page, you are invited to dinner with the staff. Now, this is just in a couple of weeks, and I want to hit this hard because there are people who have been coming here. Maybe you're here for the very first time, or you've been here for a couple of weeks. I I'm going to just point you to this and ask you to consider coming to our dinner with the staff. It's a way where you can learn more about who we are as a church. It's a way where you can begin to connect with other people and connect with the staff. It's free. All the information is there, all right? Monday. Uh, April 18th. So we have plenty of slots available. I had a great turnout uh, earlier in either January or February when we had our last one. So we, we want to fill this thing up. So I encourage every single one of you who is thinking, hey, I need to learn more about Taylor's. I'm giving you a bridge, a connecting point here with our staff, with who we are. So go ahead and you see the information there. Sign up. I'll be right outside here. Hope you can come by and say hello if you're one of our guests or maybe you have questions about dinner with the staff. You come on by and we'll, we'll help you with that. All right. Having said all of that, Matthew chapter 28. So turn in your Bibles. Uh, if you have a copy of the Word of God in front of you there, or turn on. Turn on your Bibles if you're using a digital device of any kind. Matthew chapter 28 this morning is where we are going to uh, begin to understand what is ahead of us as a church. And yesterday was such a beautiful day and I went down from the Welcome Center, and instead of going down the long hallway to my office, I walked outside. It was absolutely gorgeous. And I, I went by the marker that uh, commemorates our 150th year anniversary. You know where that is? Right there on Main Street. And so uh, I stopped by. I didn't plan on it, but I stopped by, and I, I read the, the one side of that, that uh, marker and, and then went over and looked on the other side of the marker there always wonder when people are driving by and they just see you kind of looking at these markers there. What do they think? And I read the summary of what God has done here in Taylor's. How God has raised up a group of people who heard and caught the vision of Jesus for a gospel-centered place of making disciples over 150 years ago. And, and it brought back memories as I'm reading through this of, of two years ago. When we had our 150th anniversary, two years ago this August, and it was there that I began to realize what an incredible privilege it is to serve at a place like this where God has given me as pastor this incredible 
gift. And it is the spiritual life of the body of Christ here at Taylor's. And not only has he given me this spiritual life, this incredible gift, but he's given me an opportunity to carry on the legacy as pastor here, the legacy of this place. And during that 150th anniversary, here's the thought that kept coming to mind as we, as we look back. And it's this, that I stand and you stand on the shoulders of those who have given, given their time, given their lives, given their resources, who have sacrificed. I stand and you stand on the shoulders of disciples of Jesus who made other disciples to help us get to the point we are today. And I stand on their shoulders with this incredible gift. And you do too with me. And as I thought through that and began to pray through that and think about that, here's the conclusion I came to. That with this gift of the body of Christ and with this legacy, now I needed to look ahead. Because here's what would be so discouraging is that the work of those disciples who made disciples, who made other disciples, and we stand on their shoulders. The work ends with a marker on the side of Main Street that says 150 years ago this began and it turned out really, really well, but something happened and you know the rest of the story. And, and we don't want that to happen because what's at stake is ultimately the glory of Jesus here in this place. And so uh, as I begin to think and process around that time, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to recast vision for this church? Not begin and start a new vision created in my image, but instead recast what Jesus has done and the life of the people here at Taylor's and the life of disciples all around the world. And so I came to the conclusion, yes. Yes, it's time for us to, to recast vision. And not only the vision of what Jesus wants to do in the days and weeks and decades and years ahead. Prayerfully, hopefully, long after you and I are gone. As long as Jesus does not return, long after we're, we're gone, may there be a gospel-centered community of disciples who make disciples here at Taylor's. And in order to do that, I think... I came, I came to this conclusion. I think we need to recast this vision. And not only the vision, but we, we also need to think through. We also need to uncover what, what has been laid as this incredible foundation. Within that foundation, uncover those principles that we value from the word of God and what God has already built here. Uncover values, practices that undergird, that strengthen, that move this vision forward. What are those things? And so for a long, long time now, I've been thinking through and praying through and processing through, invited the ministers in not long after 150 to, to come in. And for a long, long time, we have been processing and thinking through this. And what we have excitedly now produced is this. By God's grace, 
an opportunity to recast vision with a new mission statement and values that we're going to preach and teach through over the next eight weeks. Vision. At the tip of the vision is, is, is a mission statement. Now I want to introduce to you today, right from the pages of, uh, of Scripture, right from the words of Jesus. And then in the weeks ahead, values that undergird that mission statement. And here's why vision is so important. Because understand this, that where you focus your attention as an institution, as an organization, as a business, as a church, as a family, in your marriage... Where you focus your eyes and your attention is where you will go. And here's my sense, is that we are doing lots of wonderful things. And we'll continue to do lots of good things. But we need focus. We, we, need, we need direction. You need that. You crave that as a church. I need that as a pastor. Because it's, it's like... Uh, it's like my daughter, she, she's turning 15 uh, this November, and she has already asked me, Dad, can we jump in the car and go to an empty parking lot, and can you teach me how to drive? <laughs> I've been putting her off, putting her off, putting her off. Not because I don't trust her, but because I just don't want her to grow up, right? And so this past week, we were away, and we had a golf cart, so she jumps in the, seat of, and the, and the driver's seat of the golf cart, and, and she's driving, and the words of my driving instructor when I was 15 from Ottawa Hills High School in Grand Rapids, Michigan, his words were, all right, when you're driving your car, here's what you need to do. Here's where your eyes go. If the car is a healthy distance away from you, I want you to look at the license plate. I don't want you to look anywhere else. I want you to look at that license plate. If there's not a car there, I want you to look in the center of your lane. I don't want you to look at the center of the road. I don't want you to look at the other lane. I want you to look at the center of the lane where you are driving. And he says this because where your eyes and your focus are, that's where the car will go. That's what I told Grace. I'm sure she listened, right? <laughs> Put your eyes in the center of the road because that's where the golf cart's going to go. This is what vision does. Because here's what happens. Our eyes go all over the place. Even in a church, even in a, in a wonderful place like Taylor's First Baptist Church, our, our attention, our focus can be uh, on, on so many different things. It can be on the, it can be on the pastor. Your, your attention, your focus can be on, on the pastor. It can be on previous pastors. It can be on the worship leaders. It, it, it can be on, uh, on any number of things involved here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. And here's what happens. It, our, our eyes begin to go different places. Our eyes can be on ourselves. Our eyes can, can be so focused on us that we do not know sometimes where we're going because our focus is anywhere other than on the direction that Jesus has called us to go. And so we can drift we can do some good things, but are we focused on a gospel-centered movement of following Jesus who has asked us to do one simple thing? And that's make disciples. Let's make disciples. Matthew chapter 28. I, I want to I give you this mission statement and then we're going to unpack it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Let, let's, let's do the, the mission statement now. And, and here is what your ministers and I, we have, have walked through this. We spent a lot of time moving through this. And, and here, is, here is our mission statement. All right, you're going to hear this a lot. All right, we exist 
Tailors exist to make disciples. Now, this is all for the glory of God. But we exist to make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the lost. This is what we're called to do. This, this is that focus. This is that direction. And everything else flows out of this. This, par- this sentence comes out of Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And everything else, the values, come from the word of God and begin to flow to undergird this mission. Make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the lost. And so for the next few weeks, we get to not only preach and teach this, but over the course of the next few weeks and months, our staff will begin to flesh this out in all areas of our church. But we get to put it before you now. Tailors exist to make disciples. Read with me, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I love the book of Matthew. Matthew is, um, it begins this way with the genealogy of Jesus, the, the family tree of who Christ is. So it's almost as if as Jesus is coming into the world and we get to Matthew chapter two, the story of, of Jesus coming to earth as a, as a baby. And we get to Joseph and Mary and the wise men and all that. It's almost as if Matthew says, all right, Jesus, here is the, the legacy. Here are the shoulders that you stand on. Jesus, Abraham and David and, 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 and Jew, mostly Jews, but there's some Gentiles sprinkled in there. It's, a, it's an amazing family tree. And Jesus, you stand on these shoulders from the past, but then we come to the very last paragraph of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus has been resurrected. He has spent 40 days with his disciples. All right? So we, Easter story last week. There's this 40-day period where Jesus comes and he teaches and he walks with these guys. And I believe, this is me personally, I believe that this paragraph is the summary of his 40 days with those guys before he leaves. And then there's a 10-day period and then the Holy Spirit comes. So from Jesus' resurrection to the day of Pentecost, 50 days, we have right here Jesus, I believe, articulating and teaching his mission. Not only for those disciples, but for us. And listen to what the scriptures say about this. All right, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, now listen to him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so if you have a pen and you can mark in your text or if you can do it digitally, here's what I would do. I would go to verse 19 and if you want to know what Jesus' mission is and if you want to know what the tip of the spear for our vision is, here it is. Here's the box. Make disciples of all Nations, that word nations, don't think like globe, don't think like atlas, don't think like social studies or think people groups. We just pray 
I prayed in both rooms for this group that is going to an unreached people group. They have their own culture. They have their own language. All right. Here's what Jesus says before he leaves. It's pretty simple. As you are going in your life, make disciples. As you are sent, make disciples. Now, what does this mean? Here's where we have to do a little, little, um, a little uh, rearranging of our thinking of what disciples is, okay? Disciple, here's what we hear immediately. We see Jesus as a teacher walking around, teaching some great stuff, all these guys listening to him. It is that, a absolutely. Incredible teacher. He taught as one having great authority. It is that, but it's more than that. If, if what we understand about making disciples, this is important, all right? This is the key to everything. This is the key to everything. If what we understand about Jesus' mission is this, that there needs to be some sort of transfer of knowledge to us alone, kind of like a teacher to a student. That's all, that's all we do. And we can memorize it. We can download it. We can spit it back out. If that is what discipleship is alone, you are, are caught in a 21st century American evangelical view of discipleship. But it's more than that. Think of discipleship this way. Jesus' father, his name was Joseph, was a carpenter. And more than likely, what Jesus did was he was an apprentice under his dad. So instead of thinking it in terms of just simply transfer of information, and therefore you're a disciple, think of it this way. When Joseph took Jesus and said, all right, come with me, son. Here's, I want to teach you. I want to give you the tools, and, and I want you to understand this is what this tool does, and I want you to understand how to make this cut here. And if we're going to make that, here, here's, here's, I'm going to walk you through this. You got it, Jesus? He's like, yeah, Dad, I got it. All right, so he's learning these things, but eventually, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to pick up the tools. Eventually, Joseph's going to say, okay, you got this now, son. Come on, let me walk with you through this. You, you do it. You make the cuts. You produce that. All right, Dad, I got it. All right, pretty soon, Jesus, as he gets older and older, what is he able to do? He is able to produce what his father is able to produce because he, he knows what it takes. He, he, he has done it with his hands. He has watched and he observed, and now he has reproduced or replicated what his father has done. And if Jesus had a son and he didn't have a son, but if he did have a son or if, or if other people came to him and said, Jesus, I want to be a carpenter. Because of what his father had reproduced in him, Jesus could turn around and then reproduce it in the lives of those who could do it. And then they could go on and, and teach it. And on and on and on it goes. So when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to make disciples. Here's what he's saying. I want you to invest in the lives of other people to the point where I am being produced in you and you are reproducing me in them and they in turn, just like the carpenter line, they in turn can produce other people who look like Jesus too. All the way to all people groups to the ends of the earth. Now aren't you glad this morning that those 11 men 
took seriously this command that when the Holy Spirit came in, they said, we're going to do this. We're going to make disciples and we're going we're, we're to send disciples to make other disciples across the Mediterranean Sea and over into Europe. And then over time, it spreads across the oceans. And the gospel comes to you and me because people took seriously the command to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And now you have the life of Jesus in you because this mission has come to you and the question for you and me is what will we do with this mission? Will we make disciples? Will we give our lives just as they gave their lives to see the life of Jesus in other people or are we going to continue to just kind of wander and for some of you for some of us, not all of us, I, I get that, I understand that, but for some of us, church is not about disciple making, but it's about something else. And this is why vision and focus is needed on making disciples. Because this is, what, this is the heart of Jesus. This is what he told them. I'm leaving, here's what I want you to do. And so here's the command, make disciples. Now how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me give you three things, and it's in our statement. Number one, encounter God. Encounter God. Here is the culture and the soil from which disciple-making must spring, and that is we encounter God. And this is where God reveals himself to us, and we worship him. Notice what it says there in verse 17. When Jesus, when they saw him, when Jesus revealed himself to them, they worshiped him. They saw the nails in his wrists. They saw perhaps the nails in his feet through his sandals. They saw Jesus um, for, for three years. He did amazing things and they saw little glimpses and tastes of the glory of God. But then when it came to his death, they saw the complete suffering and agony that he, he went through to, for, for your sins and for my sins. And they saw that and they ran and they fled and they forsook him, and the dream was over, and they had wasted their years, and they had wasted their family on this man who, who, who suffered and died for nothing, but all of a sudden he comes up out of the grave, and he appears to them, and he comes to them, and when they encounter the suffering, risen, glorified Christ, they are completely transformed to the point where they fall on their feet and worship him. And this is what we want to do when we worship God. We, we want to be transformed. We, we want to come as disciple makers. As a people who come to God regularly to encounter him and be transformed by his spirit every time we gather. Whether it's, whether it's in this room or over in the other room or at 9 o'clock or in your, in your life group or in your Bible study or up in your office alone at 5 and 5.30, at 6, 6.30 in the morning, whenever you have your quiet time, when you are alone, here, here is where disciple-making, the soil for disciple-making is rich and fertile when we are continually transformed by the presence of God. Now, now here's what happens. You ready? Here's where our vision, here, here's where, where we start looking in different, in different um, ways and, and directions 
We're looking out the golf cart at everything else when it comes to worship. Here's where we are. Worship becomes, instead of expecting to encounter God, we are expecting and hoping for our preferences to be met. We'll talk about that next week. But, but, but let, let's be honest. Here's where we can be distracted away from encountering the living God is we can say, does this meet my preference? Does this meet my time? Does this meet my style? Does this, is the worship leader what, what I want him to be? Is the pastor what I want him to be? And all of a sudden, our expectations are built upon our preferences versus the Holy Spirit revealing God, the Father, and the Son to us. And we come to worship. Many of you come to worship needing to encounter God, needing to be transformed and healed. You're broken. Your life is a, has been a mess this week. Your marriage has been on the, on the rocks. You don't know, know what to do with your kids. Your job is an uncertain. You've been hurt deeply by something. When you walk into worship, when you walk out of worship, and you have not really been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, we are simply just playing church. And I don't want you to play church. I want you to follow the mission of Jesus, be a disciple maker. In order to do that, your heart in worship, your heart in that life group, your heart in your office before God has to fall down in submission before God, just like those disciples. Here's how you know you've worshipped him. Worship is such a huge word. Huge word. Right? And, and here's what worship is, all right? This isn't any formal definition. I know I worship God when my heart is softened and submissive to him. And there's confession of sin. And, and there's brokenness. And, and there's a sense that my heart needs to be aligned with the Father and with other people. And this is what happens when we encounter God. Our heart is aligned with, with God and with others. And, and instead, our vision can, and, and our focus and our direction moves in such different ways. Instead of on the heart of worship, which is Jesus himself. We can get legalistic about worship. And you don't have to be old to be legalistic. You can be young and be legalistic about worship. Legalism is simply, there is something I must do in order to meet God's approval. So it could be, hey, every time the doors are open, that was me when I was a kid, I, I have to be in worship. Or it could be every morning, if I am not worshiping with God, then therefore, um, I'm, I'm not a spiritual Christian. Encounter God. Are you, when you come to worship, expecting to, to be transformed by him? Second thing, equipping Equipping, this is where, equipping believers, this is where God readies you to invest in other people. If encountering God is where God reveals himself and we worship him, equipping is where God readies us to invest in other people. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28, look at it. Here's what Jesus says. As you're going, make disciples of all people, baptizing them. And then he comes to this phrase. He says this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right, remember, here's where we can get hung up, teaching. 
teaching. It's just about knowledge. It's just about the content. It's just about the transfer of, of information. It is so much more than that. Teaching them to observe and to obey everything means more than just simply saying, this is what the word of God says. It means this is what the word of God says. Here's the center. The word of God is central to us equipping and discipling and growing people. It is central to that. But it is more than just simply taking in information. It is taking the word of God and having the word of God move among you and among people in intimacy and in relationships where you can be challenged, where you can be encouraged, where you can pray, where you can, you can understand what it means for the word of God to take home and take root in you and be lived out so that you, as Jesus commanded them, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. What Jesus is saying here is disciples, here is your mission. Not only to reach them, but to make them complete and mature followers of Jesus. So they are so filled up and look like me. That is what I want you to do, church. That is what disciple makers do. And Jesus modeled for us how to do that with the three and with the twelve. Jesus said... Guys, come with me. Guys, walk with me. Guys, let me tell you what the Old Testament scriptures say. But guys, this is how you apply it. Guys, this, this, this is what you're struggling with. I got it. I got it. Let me walk with you. And this is what disciple makers do. Is they are equipped. They are equipped to follow Christ and to train others to follow Christ. Harrison, throw me that net right there. It's right underneath the, the seat. Thank you, man. Here's my net. Um, I got a couple of great questions when I walked into church this morning from some of the nine o'clock folks. Someone asked me, are these the basketball nets that you've already cut down because Chapel Hill won last night? I said, no, not that presumptuous. Pray we do. Um, someone asked me, have you, are you finally fed up, preacher? Are you going to tie some people up in front of everybody? No, we're not going to do that. I can have a lottery to tie people up. This is, a, this is a fishing net. And the word equip is used several times in the New Testament. But the very first time, I believe, that we hear Jesus talk about the net or talk about equipping is when he's talking about a net. And in uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, it says that the disciples were there and they were in the fishing business and they were mending their nets. And, and the word for mending is the same word that's used for equipping throughout the New Testament. So here is what the disciples are doing. Even before they're drafted into disciple making, even before they're drafted into the mission of Jesus, they're taking their nets and they're doing two things. Number one, they're repairing their nets. That's what the word mend or uh, the word equip, it, it can mean a repairing. And so as this net, the, the more and more they use this net, the more and more it becomes frayed, the more and more it becomes torn. There are holes that develop. And so they have to repair these nets in order to catch fish. So here they are repairing their nets. And the second thing, really it's the other side of the coin, they are preparing their nets to catch fish. So as these disciples are being equipped, they are being equipped and being prepared to train others. 
And this is what you and I are called to do. You and I are called to be equipped. Some of you need repairing. Some of you need the the torn fabric of your heart, the torn fabric of your soul. It needs to be put back together. And there are people here in the body of Christ who can walk with you and help you do that. But then you are, as we all are called, to equip. We are called to prepare to catch fish. Do you realize that you don't have to be super Christian in order to catch fish? You simply have to be available to be repaired and then turn around and make yourself available to serve and invest in the lives of other people. And when we talk about equipping and teaching people and training people to be all that Jesus wants them to be, here's a question I would ask. How are we doing in that? How are we repairing our people and preparing our people to invest in the lives of other people? How are we doing in our, in our Sunday school classes or in our life groups? How are we doing in our Bible studies? How, how are we doing in our, in our groups? Are we finding ways for people to be repaired and then prepared to invest in the lives of other people? Do you realize that, that not only in worship, but in those groups that you serve in, there are people who need to be repaired. There are people who need, who need the healing touch that only Jesus can do. And, and the recreation of the life of Jesus in them is when it's produced can then be used to invest in other people. But are we, do we have the mentality where we're ready to be repaired and prepare to invest in other people. Here, here, here's the challenge. Here's where our focus gets out of whack on this point. And it's this, that gaining knowledge means that we're mature. Gaining knowledge does not necessarily mean that you're mature. Gaining knowledge simply means you have a lot of knowledge. <laughs> Maturity means that you are looking more and more like Jesus and you are reproducing his life in the lives of other people. That's maturity. Equipping. Equipping. Here's the third thing. Engaging the world. We want to make disciples. As we encounter God, we're transformed by him. We want to equip others to invest in the lives of other people. But then we want to engage the lost. And that phrase there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Jesus says, go therefore, it seems so simple in the English language, the way it's translated, but really what it means is as you are going, make disciples. And I love the phrase that Jesus, uh, you hear about Jesus all the time, as, you, as Jesus passed by, he, he was reaching lost people. As he was going, and, and then he sends out the disciples. He, he doesn't wait to send them out when the Holy Spirit comes after he's gone. He sends them out on a mission. He sends the 72 out and they come back and they tell him about all the wonderful things that Jesus, uh, that the Holy Spirit did, that the Father did. And so Jesus has this mindset in, for, for us as disciple makers. It's simply not about discipling people within the church. It's simply not investing in people to the point where they are super Christians only. Our job is not complete in disciple-making until people encounter God, they're equipped 
to engage lost people. And here is where I'm convicted that our focus has been not on lost people, but on ourselves. And I speak for me. Tom Rainer says this. Tom Rainer is the head of Lifeway, which is our, the head of our research, our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, is head of our research there. Tom Rainer has done a lot of work about churches and church life, and here's what Tom Rainer says. He says, there is a simple but profound pattern among declining churches. Now, let me stop here and say this. Here is what Tom Rainer has found, that eight out of every 10 churches here in the United States, eight out of every 10 are either plateauing or declining. Eight out of every 10. So that means when you go by a church and you count 10 of them, only two at most, at most, two at most are making disciples and multiplying and growing. Everybody else, think about that is plateauing and declining. And he says this, here is what he sees as the most common factor in declining churches, and that is a focus where the church is only for the members. And when I read that yesterday, I thought, that's it. This is where our focus my focus has been on me or on the church or on systems or on processes and we've lost sight of the lost. And engaging lost people, here's what happens, all right? Our focus becomes so inward that we settle and we reside in ourselves without understanding that Jesus said, my mission, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, my mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why this morning at nine o'clock, I prayed for this group that is leaving to go to the ends of the earth. I prayed for Encounter Church in Boston. You know, last week they had their Easter egg hunt, over 1,500 people. That's a lot of Easter eggs to hide. Over 1,500 people. We pray for the lost people of Boston and Dedham. We pray for the single mom's oil change. You realize next week is the single mom's oil change. is the most, one of the most incredible uh, outreaches to our community that we've been doing for quite a while. But here's how we need to pray. Not, not only that we have good weather, not only that families come in and are blessed, but God, would you save lost people? Would you save those moms and would you save their families? Not just perform a wonderful service in the, in the name of Jesus and you do that so incredibly well. But Father, what is the next step down where we can share the gospel with these people? What about your neighbors? We go in and we go out. I do. Go in my garage, garage well, we don't put our cars in the garage. We go into our house and we come out of our house daily. Am I so consumed with myself that my neighbors know nothing of Jesus and I call myself a disciple of Jesus? 
And this is why focus is needed. Because we, we aren't seeing people come to faith in Christ like we want to. And this is why we want to encounter God to be transformed. We want to equip people to grow people and invest in people. But if we don't seek the loss, we're completely missing it. Do you realize the millennial generation? That's the generation um, that is born in between 1980 and the year 2000. So roughly the ages of the millennial generation is anywhere from, what is that? 35 years old to 15 years old, somewhere in there. That's the generation where kids are, are leaving high school, going to college, coming out of college, getting a job, getting a career, finding a family, and, and then children, and then, they're set, and then they're, they're set in their ways. Do you realize this? That the millennial generation, if the statistics are true, this past year took over the boomers as the largest generation in America. And in, if you're, a, if you're a, a builder, you're born before the year 1945, you're from that generation, the World War II generation. Get this, I read this yesterday. 65% of builders, all right, dear saints, 65% say, I'm a follower of Jesus. For the millennial generation, you know what the percentage is? Drops down to 15%. The largest generation. These are the kids. These are the college kids. These are the singles. These are the young families that will set the pace for American life and American culture for years and years to come. It's the largest generation and they're dying and they're going to hell. And Jesus said, here's the mission. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who reach lost people and this is the mission of the church and I'm passionate about this mission I love this mission God has given me and I, I want you so much to have it as well and let me end on this let me just point out why pastor is this so important for us we, we kind of get that it's great Matthew 28 16 through 20 why is it important let me just quickly go through just a couple of things one for clarity clarity there is a need for people to understand the mission and the vision of Jesus because, as I've said time and time again throughout this message, we become cloudy, we become uncertain, we don't know where we're going as a church. People will say, Pastor, where are we headed? Here is where we're headed. Over the next few weeks, we're going to share with you where we're headed so that we're clear. Acts chapter 1, the disciples, they spent 40 days with Jesus, they spent three years with Jesus, he's about to leave, Jesus is giving him everything he's got. I'm going, guys, and here's what they say. Jesus, wait, 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 wait. Now is when you're going to restore the kingdom. Now is when you're going to rule. Now is when you're going to overthrow Rome. Now is the time we're going to sit around thrones and rule, just like it said in the Old Testament scriptures, just like the Jewish teachers have taught us. And Jesus goes, no, you've totally missed it. You're unclear. You're not going to rule. You're going to die. How do you like that, guys? You're going to die for the gospel. And they had scripture, they had knowledge, they had tradition, they had teachings, and they were unclear. And this is what the mission of Jesus does for us. It makes it clear this is where we're headed. Making disciples who encounter God equip others to engage 
the law. Secondly, evaluate. Here, here's what vision does. Here's what this mission does. It causes us to evaluate. We, we evaluate as a church primarily three ways. <laughs> or it's been like this for, for a long, long time. Just not our church, but all churches. The three B's, you know what they are? Bodies, budgets, and baptisms. And we say, how many people are coming weekly? What are people giving? Are we behind in the budget? Are we ahead in the budget? How many baptisms are there? Now, all the, three of those things are incredibly valid indicators of where we are and where we're going. I look at those things every single week. But you know what? You know what? There's more to it than just whether or not we attend. That's important. We'll talk about that next week. That's important. But there's more to it than just simply whether we show up. What if we started evaluating this? Is Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit being demonstrated in your life? Where you are now different than you were when you started that Bible study? Is the fruit of the Spirit coming about where, where your, your un, the unity of the body of Christ takes precedent over your preference? It, it, let, what if we started evaluating our broken people in those life groups? Our broken people in our Bible studies able to voice and are they able to share, this is where I'm broken and I'm falling apart. Are we, are, what, how do we evaluate whether brokenness is being restored if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working to put lives back together, homes back together, instead of marriages falling apart, what if we began to see marriages put back together? How do we evaluate that? We can't evaluate that unless we know we're making disciples. How do we know whether or not we're reaching our community? Yes, we can gauge who's being baptized, and absolutely, I, I want that number to, to skyrocket. But how do we evaluate whether the gospel is being shared? How do, we, how do we know the life of Jesus is being reproduced in leaders? How do we know that our groups, we're not dismantling life groups, we're not tearing those things apart, but how do we know whether they're being shaped and fashioned and put together where the life of Jesus is being reproduced in people who file in and file out every single Sunday? How do we know? And this is what making disciples and what we'll explore over the next few weeks and what our staff will work on for the next few weeks and months how we know we are multiplying and making Jesus followers. Third, unity. Or alignment around the mission. We, we have such incredible diversity here at Taylor's. We, we have people who have been at Taylor's for 30 or 40 years. They're in their 70s and their 80s and they are treasures. They are treasures. I should honor them more than I do. But then we have, we have, you know, diversity of people in, in this room, college kids, singles. Then we have our children and we have our students. And here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I can go to any generation or I can go to any group and I can say, what energizes you about our church? And you know what? Here, here's what I get. Here, here's what I hear. I'm just being honest with you. There are some people who say, pastor, pastor, the older generation, hey, we love Sunday night. I told them this at the nine o'clock. We love Sunday night. 
um, pastor, let's engage people in Sunday night. And and I sit down with them and I share with them, you know what? There's a generation that Sunday night is, is just something culturally that they're not, they're not going to connect with that. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't, doesn't mean we're going to do away with that. That just simply means there's a group of people my age who are saying, Hey, I'm a parent. I need help with my kid. Someone help me. I'm drowning as a mom. Someone help me. I, I can't figure life out. Someone draw close to me and help me. But then there's some, there's some who say, Pastor, and I've heard this, Pastor, you got it all wrong. Don't worry about Sunday night. Don't worry about gathering. Don't even worry about community. Don't even worry about people being intentional. But hey, it's all about the going. Don't worry about the, uh, the renovations. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about anything. Just go. Just get out of the building and go. And I'm all for any number of these things. But if we don't have alignment around making disciples, what's going to happen is everyone is going to do their own thing. And they're going to complain when they don't get it. This is why we evaluate. And this is why we say, here's where we're headed. It's a line around seeing people changed by the gospel. What's that going to take? And then finally, the future. And we're done. The future. Here's the deal. We stand on the shoulders of disciples who made disciples. Who is going to stand on your shoulders? I mean, you've received this gospel. You've been transformed by this gospel. Are you going to be a part of a place where there's going to be a day where someone who is lost or someone here at the church climbs up on your back and stands on your shoulder? Because the future is at stake. If eight out of ten churches are plateauing and declining, the future is at stake now. We can't wait. The task is urgent because Jesus said, all authority is mine. You make disciples. He doesn't say it as, if you don't, I'm going to beat you over the head. I'm going to beat you like a stick on an ugly dog. He doesn't say that. The king of the universe who came down and bled and died and was resurrected for you. The king of the universe who spoke the word in the storm that almost killed the disciples was turned into calm. The king of the universe who came in human form and walked into a wedding and took some water and turned it into wine. The king of the universe who went to a tomb where a dead man was and he said his name and out he comes, bandages and all. The king of the universe who humbled himself and went to a cross and died for your sin and resurrected again. He comes out out of the grave and he says all authority is mine and why don't we say Jesus yes absolutely we will make disciples because we love you all authority all authority we'll see that authority one day and what will we say the other bookend all authority is mine and then he says this this is so awesome and I will be with you to the end of the age if there's any doubt authority and he's with us always is there any doubt that we have everything it takes 
to make disciples. Praise God. This is my heart for you, church. I think this is Jesus' heart for us as well. Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, I simply pray before we sing together, I pray a prayer of commitment and intercession for the incredible family of faith at Taylor's. And I pray most of all that our people would not see anything other than Jesus and his call and his power and his presence and they will be transformed and we become a place that makes disciples that sees people produced like Jesus that in our worship times our hearts are transformed that in our groups and in our communities and in our studies there is transformation there is healing there is reconciliation so that the gospel gets beyond us. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. When church has become other than making disciples who worship you. So Father, I pray that we would give our, that we would die for the gospel. I pray that we would lay down our lives for the gospel. But since we're not in a foreign land where we are faced with that choice, I pray that we simply live out the gospel. Raise up a movement. Raise up a gospel movement. Build your church. Bring glory to your name. For the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.